1: And so we've reached episode 21 of Brighton Rock, and in this particular episode, myself, Russell Guyver, and my co-host Peter Marsh had the very great pleasure to interview for about 48 minutes the Chief Executive Officer and Deputy Chairman of the Albion, Mr. Paul Barber. Hope you enjoy this. Happy listening. Right. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Brighton Rock. A podcast in which it is our great honour and privilege to welcome to the show, by quite some distance, our most prominent guest to date. A hugely familiar and significant figure in Albion's recent history and a highly respected man in the football world. It's the club's deputy chairman and CEO, Mr Paul Barber. How are you, Paul?
2: I'm very well, thank you, Russ. Uh, Good to be on the show.
1: Excellent. Lovely to have you on. Um, I do, as usual, have Peter with me as well. Hi, Peter.
0: Hi. Hi, Paul. Hi, Russ. Thanks so much, Hello, Paul. On? No, no problem at all.
1: Yes, absolutely appreciate it. I know you're a busy man at the moment, so uh, so we do appreciate the time you're giving us. Um, I want to fly straight in with a few questions. Um, you've been with the club for a good while now and namely eight years. And I'd like to get on to some questions about that later. But firstly, can you give us the latest from the club on the COVID-19 situation?
2: Yes, well, obviously, it's a very difficult time for for everyone across the country and indeed across the world, and uh, you know our club has uh, has done what it can to support uh, first of all our staff and fans, but also uh, the wider community, which includes obviously NHS workers as well, where we've launched a new initiative this morning to try and provide about a thousand free tickets uh, for when football restarts next season uh, to give the a- NHS frontline workers a, a small thank you for what they've been doing and also something to look forward to during the very difficult times that we're all facing now, but particularly that.
1: Excellent. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's superb what we've been doing, um, I think, a number of initiatives. I mean, there's, uh, there's risk in this interview of getting into arch sick of fancy with all the uh, all the platitudes we can give you and plaudits for things. But, um, I mean, it's, um, it is obviously very difficult times. Though. I mean, how much of your day is currently occupied with matters caused by the virus? I think pretty
2: much all day and most of the evening at the moment. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's probably one of the, the most significant and most difficult events I've certainly ever had to, to, to lead an organisation through in, in all my years working. And uh, I think it's the same for chief executives up and down the country, across just about every industry out there. So, you know, there are no guidebooks for this sort of thing. There are no, uh, there are no sort of rules and, and regulations on how you manage these situations. You, you, you go a lot by instinct. You go a lot by doing what the right thing is to do. Uh, and obviously, in our club, we've got very strong values, a very strong culture. Uh, and we're guided by
1: that as to doing the right things at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Peter, do you want to ask the next one? Yeah, we well, were um, just wondering how the various
0: commercial partners are reacting to the situation and what sort of interaction you've been engaged in in, in this regard.
2: Uh, they've been brilliant. I mean, both uh, American
0: Express and Nike
2: and all of our partners who work with us um, all the way through each season and each preseason have been absolutely magnificent. They fully understand the unprecedented situation that we're facing. Um, not playing matches is, is clearly a massive issue for, for a football club that relies on those matches to provide a platform for its commercial partners. But they've all been very patient, very understanding, very supportive. Um, and obviously in their own respective industries are going through different challenges uh, as well. So I think we're all in this together. And one of the things that we've we've been talking about in the calls that we've been making to the partners at the various email exchanges is just how we can help each other uh, through these difficult weeks and hopefully um, not not for long into the future, but however long it takes um, to make sure that we all come out of it the other side, you know, better, wiser, stronger, uh, and, you know, our partnerships improve e- even in these difficult
0: times as a result. So they've been excellent, really cannot fault them in any way. Oh, Brilliant, that's great to hear and in terms of the, the playing side, if the, how are the players in terms of their welfare, are they the staff coping and I'm thinking especially in regards to players, especially if they're in a pretty unique situation and are there presumably their major issues in terms of training and keeping fit and everything? And...
2: Yeah, I mean players are like any, any other um, worker in any other organisation, they, they have a routine every day, uh, they follow that routine religiously um, and when that routine gets interrupted obviously it's a, it's a big shock to their system as it is to all of ours and uh, we've been uh, helping the players work at home in the same way we have been helping all of our employees work at home and they've been the players have been given special equipment special fitness equipment they're joining in with video conference uh, sessions each morning with with our strength and conditioning team and with, with the coaching staff just trying to keep each other Uh, motivated during what is a very difficult period for a professional athlete and uh, not only is it difficult to train at home but it's very difficult to maintain an intensity to your training when there's no end product there's no match to look forward to Mm. Um, so psychologically we're supporting them as best we can as well and uh, obviously they're doing what they can to support our communications and marketing and retail teams with Various videos and and support for the fans, and and various other initiatives that we've been engaging in to try and do our bit in the community. So, it is a difficult time for players, but they've again they've they've reacted superbly, very professionally. um, And you know, like us, they just want this uh, horrible period to be over and for things to turn turn back to normal as quickly as possible. But uh, in the meantime,
1: um, they're maintaining their their routines as best they can. Well, it certainly seems like an awful lot of work's gone into the preparation, hasn't it, by the sounds of it, for this personal training programme and associated details. So uh, pretty impressed with that, I have to say. Um, One of the things I was going to mention, Paul, here was um, you appeared a couple of Saturdays ago on the BBC's flagship programme Football Focus, um, Saturday lunchtimes. (laughs) Um, a reduced half hour length um, episode in which you had I think you had more than 10 minutes you had about 35% of the show's running time so great, great <laughs> to see you there in a future role <laughs> um, and you came across pretty well as always so in that interview Dan Walker mentions your strong preference I think for seeing the current season completed if at all possible and since then there's been a noted groundswell of opinion to that tune um, the situation is, of course, entirely unclear still as to what extent, um, you know, whether that notion to continue is, is possible. Um, could you see this season carrying over into 2021? And would you be in favour of that if it got to that extent? Um, I personally think I would be. But I'm uh, um, sure Peter... Yeah. <laughs> It's a very it's a very complex situation
2: and um it's not just uh it's not just about completing this season it's about completing it in a time frame that that makes absolute sense for so many different stakeholders you know first of all there's our broadcast partners who um, obviously are suffering as we're suffering at the moment live content is uh is their lifeblood it's not just Sky Sports and BT and and uh, the highlights part of the BBC but it's all of the broadcasters across the whole world the Premier League contracts with to show live games so they're all suffering at the moment we've then got the issue of of players uh, and how long is it reasonable to keep players uh, training for when there are no matches and and how long can you then extend that period if it it goes into another season Um, we've then got the bookend of of euro 2021 as it will be now uh, moved to next summer so there isn't a lot of flexibility to extend next season beyond the normal timetable because of Euro 2021 and then we've got the whole issue of player contracts that typically as most contracts do in the football world expire on the 30th of June so what happens if you've got players whose contracts expire on the 30th of June but the season's got to to, to roll over you know there's a whole uh, bunch of complexities that, that make completing the season in the quickest possible time the best thing to do but we've also got to be extremely cognizant that you know, this is a world pandemic. This is a huge health crisis where people's lives are at stake. And, you know, we absolutely have to keep that very much top of our minds before we start making any decisions about playing football again. We have to play football when it's safe to do so, not just safe for the public, but, but safe for the players and the staff that have got to work at those games. So there's a long way, I think, between where we are now and, and kicking another ball. Um, and it's hard to imagine right now, in the grip of the crisis um, when that's going to happen. But all of the Premier League clubs have said that they want to try and finish the season if it's at all possible. But there will come a point uh, when I suspect we'll have to make a decision on whether that's the right thing to do or whether that's the most practical thing to do. And if it isn't, then, of course, we've got some very difficult decisions to make as to to what actually happens to this particular season. Um, You know, it's a very, very complex issue that, that none of us who currently work in football have ever faced before. I think the last time anyone ever had to face up to this, it would have been during the, the last World War. Um, and again, we were facing at that time very unusual and unprecedented situations. It's even more complex now because of all of the, the, the commercialism that's gone on in football over the last 20 or 30 years. that makes it a very difficult situation.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's such a unique situation, isn't it? It really is. I mean, everything has to go out of the window in terms of usual protocol timings, the transfer window, the contracts. Obviously, that is going to be an enormous headache, but um, I guess somehow it's all just got to be adjusted along, hasn't it, one way or the other? But um, anyway, you're you're working from home now, aren't you, as as pretty much everyone is? Um, I I think um, uh, there's pluses and minuses, of course, with that. But how are you finding it? Does it hinder the efficiency of your workday in any way, for example? I mean, do you get kids and pets interrupting you far more (laughs) than you want? (laughs) Well, fortunately, my
2: my kids are adults now, so um, two two of them are back here at the moment, which is um, which is nice to see them. They're both based in the north of the country, so I don't get to see them that often. Um, but I think home working is is all about discipline and routine, and and you have to get into the same kind of routine and discipline that you you do in your in your office um, or wherever you work. Um, it's difficult sometimes to to do that because there are other distractions inevitably. Um, but uh, but no, it's it's working out okay so far. Partly because things are so busy, um, partly because there's plenty to do, um, but also because we you know we are trying to help each other through this this process as well, and uh, you know keep each other sane and sensible during a period working from home. But I do feel for those people that have got young children at home. I, I remember what that was like. It's never easy um, to work from home when there are young children around the house. But fortunately, I'm not in that position anymore.
1: Yeah, well, there's all sorts of gifs and memes going around now, isn't there? With things like, uh, can you breathe more quietly as a caption and things <laughs> like that. It's getting to that stage, isn't it now? It's, uh, yeah, but um, still crazy. There we go. Peter, do you want to take the next questions? Yeah,
0: well, we were just going to talk about some of the things that I've touched on at the beginning about the club have, have offered. Starting off with the, I think we felt we we're the first club to offer suspend, uh, continue pay for match day staff since the season was suspended. and that sort of thing seems a really kind of a great thing, especially for Premier League clubs with the income potentially that they have compared to maybe lower league clubs. But and there's not been an awful lot of clubs to follow through. Would, we'll would follow through with that and seem to. I've not seen a lot of clubs mention it. So I, a, I think it's just to say we're really kind of impressed that the club are doing this. And b, kind of are you a little, little disappointed other clubs aren't? And finally, also, what's of is there like a kind of all board meetings to have to sign off these things, or can the can conditions be made kind of more as you go along, a kind of bit by bit?
2: Well, first of all, I think I think it's
0: it's very easy sometimes
2: for people to think that Premier League clubs are awash with cash. Um, and, you know, to all intents and purposes, you know, I can imagine why people think that because of the size of the TV contracts. But of course, Premier League clubs also have huge outgoings. Um, yeah. And when we are faced with a situation like this where we don't have any matches, so we don't have any match day income, we have to close the stadium so we don't have any non-match day events. And because we're not playing, we're not actually on TV. So... You know, we're not getting TV uh, fees either at this time. So if you can imagine a football club where all of a sudden, literally overnight, all of the income disappears, but all of the costs stay exactly where they are and have mm-hmm. to be paid. It's a really tricky time for Premier League clubs, uh, as well as some of the smaller clubs and many of the smaller clubs. And of course, we feel more for them as well, because they don't have the initial benefit of the TV income in the first place. So you know many of those smaller clubs are going to be suffering hugely at the moment and worrying about whether you know, they can pay the bills, whether they can uh, keep all of their staff employed. And thankfully, some of the government initiatives in the last seven days, I think, will help a lot of those smaller clubs to get through this period, certainly for for the majority of their staff with their jobs intact, which has got to be the the most important thing. We wanted to protect, first of all, um, our, our lowest paid workers, they tend to be the casual staff that we employ on a match day. And very often they are older members of the community, perhaps retired, who are are doing this job because it's a little bit of an extra income to their pension or it could be right at the other end of of the spectrum where they're students who are looking to top up uh, any of their student loans with with some match day work as well so in in those situations both those situations the income that people receive from the match day work is really critical to their lives and we wanted to try and do what we could to make sure those people were protected um, because the games were suspended through no fault their own so you know Whether we end up uh, playing those games again in front of a, a crowd, whether we end up playing those games behind closed doors, or whether we end up not playing those games at all, we wanted to make sure to the end of the season, those matchday workers were, were looked after. We then wanted to try and make sure we had a financial plan that avoided redundancies or reducing our full-time staff pay, you know, as far as we could. I mean, we can't promise that forever because we just don't know how long this, this crisis is going to last. But we certainly wanted to do that um, for the short term. Uh, at least to the end of the season. And and here we are as well now trying to do what we can to to keep our staff motivated, to try and give them something to look forward to. Um, and so just yesterday, we uh, sent an Amazon voucher to all of our, our full-time staff, core staff outside of our executive team, um, just for them to be able to treat their families to something um, during this difficult period, some games for the kids, some food and drink. Um, Whatever whatever uh, the the staff wanted to do, just to try and make sure that you know they they were rewarded for their patience and their support for us during this difficult period, and also just to give them a bit of a lift at what is a pretty uh, awful time for everybody.
0: Brilliant, thanks.
1: Yeah, well, um, another gesture the club have made um just this week offering to delay up to three months on the season tickets so i mean that that itself relates to the new season's payment period doesn't it where um, you can have a holiday for three months is it after april's payments is that right uh, paul yeah that's right and what what, again what we've tried to do here is we've tried to get the timing of this
2: to to be most effective so you know i'll I'll, 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 we worked out that a lot of people would still be paid during march um you know the, the virus hasn't really um, you know, caused huge numbers of job losses or, or short time working until the latter part of this month. So we're hoping that most people would still be paid for March, which means their April payments would go through as planned. And then, you know, if people had been made redundant or had been forced to take short time working, um, it would really be really May, June, and July that they needed the most help, which is why we timed the three month payment holiday for that period. And it also enabled us then to, you know, push the the, the money that there was accumulating. Uh, into the distance, spread it out over a longer period of time so people didn't feel the effect of of, of what they owed too much. Um, And we're hoping that that will help people through the worst of this crisis. Um, Obviously, if we're still in this uh, particular position come the end of the summer uh, and people need more help, then obviously we we will look to do our best there. Um, But we're already providing um, an interest-free direct debit scheme. We don't charge any fees for that. So the opportunity to spread payments out for the cost of season tickets over the year is already one of the best in in football. And now, hopefully with the payment holiday, because of this crisis, we can help people through the worst of it. um, And that will enable them to keep their season tickets for next year without any problems. 92% of our fans renewed, which is an incredible number as it is. And we want to try and make sure as many of those people uh, come through this crisis with their seats intact and looking forward to football when it returns.
1: Right. Yeah. Has there been yeah.
2: much f- feedback yet from fans, by the way, about the season? Very two? good. Uh, Very good feedback. Um, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of messages of, of thanks that have just come through an email to, to me personally, but also to to a, a other mm-hmm. uh, senior executives in the club and to support the services, and obviously on social media. I think people really do understand that the, the football club itself is hurting. So then to to try and do a little bit more uh, to help fans has been really appreciated. And uh, you know, we've got great support. We you know we've built that support consistently since the amex opened over the last near decade now and of course core support that was always there for the club through the bad times and across the community and i think people are realizing that you know the football club still remains very very rooted um in its community very connected to its fan base tries to do the right thing in in times of crisis and and hopefully people are seeing that uh through this difficult period we're we're currently suffering
0: yes i I mean it feels to me like the club are leading the way in a lot of things i mean i was Really impressed with the the idea that you guys are going to be talking a lot of the high profile staff members will be calling up more vulnerable and isolated fans this week. That seems an amazing kind of thing to do for the community and the, the supporters. Well,
2: we, we're looking forward to doing it. Let's hope that the people receiving the calls appreciate us calling. Um, I'm sure that they will. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> we might just be we might just be uh, ruining their afternoon or evening, but, um, but <laughs> no, I think again, I'm sure like it, it's, it. It's, it's it's the right thing to do. And uh, you know, we, we we're in this very strange situation where we're all uh, isolated to a degree. But older people, by their nature, very often are more isolated than most of us. They don't get out as much. They don't have such a wide circle of activities or friends. So in this situation, that circle closes in even more. And um, and if they're vulnerable, if they're unwell or if they need um, supplies and they can't get out to get them, um, we felt it was the right thing to do, to use our database, to identify those people, call them, first of all, make sure they're okay. Secondly, have a chat, talk about football, talk about what's going on in the world, whatever they want to talk about, and then just make sure that they've got everything they need. And if they haven't, while we're still able to get out and about, um, then we've got the opportunity to to get them whatever supplies they need, drop them around, uh, and hopefully just uh, do the right thing again by the community. And, I think when we've looked at this crisis we've tried to look at it in in sort of several ways we've tried to look at you know what can we do for our staff what can we do for our fans what can we do for the wider community and what can we do for the specific members of the community in in, in the case of the the example i mentioned earlier the nhs frontline workers what can we do to make their lives a little bit better and if we can keep looking at those sort of three or four different stakeholders in our club and and do the right things through this crisis then hopefully come the end of it We would have played our part in in supporting everyone through a very difficult period in the way that throughout every season, uh, those people tend to support us. And uh, it's a small bit of payback on our part.
0: That's great. Yeah, personally, for me, it wasn't just the, the NHS workers that we were doing something. It's also we're trying to encourage other teams to do it as well, which is so good. We're leading the way. Yeah.
2: Again, we can't obviously we can't force our colleagues up and down the country to get involved. We'd love them to because if if we all did a um, thousand tickets, you know across you know 91 clubs in England and, and Wales and then up to Scotland across the Northern Ireland, um, mm. including the FA uh, of, of England and, and Wales and, and Scotland, we could easily top 100,000 tickets. I mean, it's a massive target and a, maybe a bit of a pipe dream in some ways, but we felt that if we led the way, we did our bit. Um, and others wanted to follow, then that would be great. And uh, some have already intimated they want to. We've had some great support on Twitter from people like Alistair Campbell, Rio Ferdinand, people have already got behind us and, and said, look, you know, this is a great initiative other clubs should follow. But if they do, it's their choice. And if they don't, well, of course, they're all doing their bit in their respective communities,
1: and we respect that. Yeah, on the matter of the telephone calls, by the way, Paul. I, I, although it's been publicised, I'm sure you're going to be um, taking a, catching a few people off guard. Um, I, I suppose they might be thinking there's some wind-up calls if they get you or El Capitan or Uncle Tony on the phone, uh, thinking it's one <laughs> of their mates. So, <laughs> you might have to do some convincing when you get on the phone to them. Uh, quite, quite possibly. I think I think they'll be
2: more uh, more excited to get a call from from Graham or from Tony or from Bruno rather than me. But um, uh, but <laughs> well, no, I, I think it's. I think it's uh, it's a great thing that you know Andrew Croft has also volunteered to help us, and you know I think some of the the sort of more familiar names you know will go down well with fans, and you know as I said, it's an opportunity also just to have a quick chat and uh, find out what's going on and, and making sure that uh, that they're okay yeah. Um, and yeah in these situations it's it's a small thing that we can do, but in 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 the lives
1: of those people, it could be a big thing, and that's important. Absolutely. I mean, we're certainly excited to speak to you on the phone, I have to say, Paul. Um, Speaking of excited, though, how excited will you and the club be when we finally play a home game again?
2: (laughs) Well, it's funny when you're in the middle of a battle, as we've been in the last few weeks, you know, you you actually look forward to a little bit of respite. And Now, all of a sudden, I want that respite to be over and I want to get back (laughs) to the the battle. Um, Yeah, it's something that you... Take for granted, don't you? And um, you know, certainly in my the twenty-five years, over twenty-five years now in professional football, you know, games week in, week out have been something I've always taken for granted, but I'll never take them for granted again after after this episode. And um, you know, it's been a big shock, I think, to everyone to suddenly have all of their routines turned upside down. Um and then to be without the thing that many of us love, um, a match at the end of a, a long week. Um, has been very, very difficult, and I think a lot of people have really struggled with the the thought that there 's no match to go to, no match to watch on t v, no match to listen to on the radio, no match to sort of follow through Twitter or whatever social media uh, platform people tend to look at these days and I think it has been a real shock to the system for all of us across the country, but of course nothing um, you know as important as people 's health again and and you know we keep coming back to that point it's easy to sort of feel sorry for yourself when you can't do what you love doing. Um, but at the moment, there's a lot of people that are really struggling with the illness and, and sadly in, in, in some cases, quite a lot of cases dying as well. So, you know, we're very cognizant of that and uh, we, we've tried to keep our disappointment at not playing football in perspective,
0: um, which I think is really important at the moment. Absolutely. Um, so Paul, we've had the pleasure of your company as a special guest at Sea of London on a couple of occasions now and, it's always great to have you up. We're always really engaging when we, and we really enjoy having you there. Um, there's always plenty of questions and you always give really interesting answers. And we've, we're wondering what, to what degree you think supporters groups are important? And how might they play a role on ongoing basis in the future of the Albion? And also in reco- recovering after everything that's happened now as well, I suppose. Really good.
2: Yeah, I mean, we're, I think first of all, supporter groups are really important. And, um, you know, from the first week I arrived at the club, I think I, I met uh, supporters group at the Amex in my first week or second week that Paul Cameron arranged. Um, And I said then that, you know, I saw it as being a really important part of my job to engage with supporter groups. I would always answer questions honestly and directly. People might not always like uh, the answer that I gave, but they'd they'd always get an honest answer. Um, And we've maintained that year after year. We we do three, four, five, six supporter group meetings a year. Myself, Tony Bloom, other people, Paul Cameron has done one or two. Uh, Our finance director has done one or two. And it's important, I think, just to get out there and, and be seen to to answer questions openly. And given the history of this club and some of the more difficult times and some of the mistrust that went on between supporters and owners and boards at that time, I think it's been a really important part of of establishing trust with the supporters. As I say, they can't and won't always like um, everything we say or do because you know the club has evolved and changed so much over the last decade. We've had to do things very differently to the way they've done it with Dean and Gillingham and, and certainly at the Goldstone. Um, but that's part of the evolution of a football club from a a, a, you know, a a club that played a lot of games in League One and League Two, then a few seasons in the championship to emerging as a Premier League club. It's impossible to run a football club in the Premier League the way it's run in League One. Um, policies have to change, terms and conditions have to change, the cost of football changes by definition. Um, And some of the things we've had to do um, don't always please people. But that's part and parcel of the club evolving. And likewise, you know, the profile of the club has grown enormously. The pressure that comes with that, the scrutiny that comes with that uh, and the potential risks that come with that are huge. And again, you know, we have to adapt and change with with that risk profile changing and with that general profile changing. Um, And some of the things that, that come with that won't always please people that were used to, to watching us at the Dean or the Goldstone in very different days. Um, but the fans groups are really important um, and uh, we're looking to do another big fans group online, I think, over the next couple of weeks just to take advantage of um, the opportunity where people are a, a little bit bored at home, maybe perhaps looking for something a bit different to do and um, maybe doing an online fans forum is, is one of the ways of, of helping
1: through people through this period. Yes indeed, yes, that's certainly certainly very true. Um Paul, if I could just um, turn matters to the Albion a little bit, um Albion Team Matters. We're definitely more entertaining now, on the whole, than we have been previously in the Premier League period. Uh, that seems to be a given amongst our fan base and in the media, and, and our league position is very similar. So for me it is an improvement, but the obvious spectre of potential relegation still lingers. Um sorry, I don't that whistling noises. I hope that wasn't me. Um but um while, while we're in this position overall, how do you rate our season so far? How do you think Graham's done in his first season to date? I think he's done very well. I mean, we're in transition. We're trying to evolve to a very
2: different style of football. But, and Graham's had effectively two transfer windows in order to, to achieve that, that, that change. And, it, it, you know, it probably takes three, four, five transfer windows to probably get the squad that um, suits the style of football that, 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 that Graham wants to play. For, for all that uh, being said, you know, we, we've actually competed pretty much in every game this season. There may be three or four games where we haven't quite got to the level that Graham or we would have liked or the players would have liked. But overall, we've, we've done very well. It's hard to win games in the Premier League. It's very, very difficult to get three points on a consistent basis. Um, and, you know, we've drawn a lot of games. We've been hard to beat in a lot of games. Um, people talk about a lack of goals, but there's probably seven, eight, nine, ten teams all around. Um, the same number of goals, give or take three or four. So, you know, that what that really does is underline just how difficult it is to score goals in the Premier League as well. And, you know, there's no point in going out into a transfer window to, to buy players that either don't exist, um, aren't available, or, or at a price level that, that just simply wouldn't uh, match the, the club's budget. So, you know, trying to find players to boost the squad, strengthen the squad is not easy. Um, and there are other clubs, many of them around us, they're looking to do the same in the same period of time. So this is going to be a, a process that takes a while. and you know We've got to be patient. We've got to be um, respectful of what Graham is trying to achieve and what the players are being asked to do. But we've also got to just keep reminding ourselves that the Premier League is the toughest league in the world to play in. Forget the Bundesliga, forget the Liga, forget Serie A. There are very, very few leagues in the world where every single week players are expected to play at an intensity to get a result. Uh, at the level that the Premier League demands and you know we're in that league and we're competing in that league now for the third season we hope to survive for a fourth season which will be a record equaling uh, number of consecutive seasons playing at the top level and if you put that into context overall this is only our seventh season in 119 years playing at the top level Mm. you know we're still novices at this level we're still learning our trade at this level we're we're still learning how difficult it is to compete against some of the biggest uh, clubs in the world with the best players in the world. And really, as much as um, the club did well in the four seasons we played in the old Division One um, back in the 80s, um, the Premier League is a very, very different animal now to, to what Division One was then. So, you know, we really are uh, learning our, our trade here in only our third season. Um, and we've beaten some, some big teams. You know, we've beaten Manchester United twice. We've beaten Tottenham. We've beaten Arsenal um, We've drawn with Chelsea. We've got some fabulous results in our first uh, two and two-thirds seasons uh, in the Premier League. And the longer we are able to stay at this level, the longer we're able to learn at this level. Um, I think the more fans will enjoy it, uh, the less difficult it will become in terms of um, the battles that we have in the, in the bottom uh, quarter of the table. Um, but we should never, ever take for granted where we are and never, ever expect it to be easy because you know our budgets won't allow us to to see it as being easy ever. Um, so we've got to be smarter and that means bringing players through our academy. It means our recruitment has got to be as, as, as good as any club in the league, if not better. Uh, and of course, we continue to rely on Tony Bloom's generosity to keep supporting us in the transfer market and keep allowing
1: our club to compete in the Premier League. Absolutely. I think uh, I think all the sensible Albion fans amongst us um, would concur with pretty much everything you just said there, Paul. I mean, it is a, it is a process. It's a project. It takes time. And as you said, it's not as simple as just saying, get a striker in. Obviously, you guys are trying to do that. And it isn't easy enough, um, as as you'd like it to be, um, to get in who you want. When we have just gone for somebody, it's maybe not always been the right option. Um, So, you know, it is about getting the right person in. And um, I was saying with Peter in a previous podcast how you just get the sense that if we can get past this season, still preserving our Premier League status, how I could see this club and this project and this manager really stepping on and getting us into a different level, pretty much towards the vision that Tony um, declared at the beginning of the season that he would like us to get to. Um, I don't know if you concur with that, Peter.
0: No, I agree completely. Um, but turning it around maybe a little bit to the kind of the other side, maybe where, as with lots of clubs, we have a lot of people here who will probably moan about the Albion on various forums and probably directly to the club as well. Um, But obviously, when it comes to the team's fortunes, to what degree do you have to bat away criticism and just try and avoid it or not worry about it? (laughs) We
2: we don't worry about social media, unfortunately. Um, It's it's part and parcel of of everyone's lives, but it, it, it certainly doesn't in any way influence the way we run the club, the decisions we make or the way the team plays or the players we buy, the players we sell, the managers we select, the coaches we select. It doesn't have any influence at all. Um, It's another channel. It's a a way of engaging with fans from time to time. But unfortunately, what social media tends to attract sometimes the more extreme opinions, um, good and bad. Um, But again, there's a huge majority of our fans that that don't engage in social media much at all. Um, And, you know, we tend to have to look at all of the fans' opinions through our matchday surveys, our end of season surveys, the hundreds and hundreds of emails and calls and letters that we receive every week. You know that gives us a far better temperature on what fans are thinking about the club than than individual sort of social media channels, whether it's you know websites, message boards, or or Twitter. Um, it's really important not to be governed by one channel of communication. I think there are a few politicians out there from the last election that that learned if you you know constantly speak into an echo chamber, uh, what comes back is not necessarily what the public's feeling. And and that's you know that's the same with with football clubs. You've got to be very careful to take a broad um, a broad view of all the all the different stakeholders, all the different fan groups, different age groups, different um, sections of the fan base and make sure then you are making policy decisions that suit the vast majority. Unfortunately in football you're never going to please all of the people all of the time, it's just not ever going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. But what we can do is, is come up with policies that suit the majority of the people the majority of the time um, and that's what we try and do and, and we've got to steer a very clear pathway for the longer term uh, sustainability of the club not short-term quick wins not short-term reactions to things that people don't like at a particular point in time we've got to make sure the club's in the most sustainable position it can be for the long term and that means taking the pressure off of Tony bloom that means taking the pressure off of his financial shoulders um, and allowing the club to to evolve and develop uh, as a as a proper grown-up club um, and that's what we've been doing now for the best part of a te- decade since the annex opened and will continue to do for a long time to come.
1: Uh, Paul, do you have to deal with a lot of first hand communications aside from sort of those of a reasonable nature? I mean, do you have a lot of, shall we say, headache <laughs> communications Are you sort of despair thinking I really haven't got time to deal with this? I mean, it's not really
2: I mean, to be honest, you know, my policy has always been to to deal firsthand with with people that write to me. I think if people have taken the time to write to me, they deserve the courtesy of a reply. And I also believe that, you know, it's important to give people a thorough reply, because what ends up happening if you give a short, sharp reply, it then leads to another email or or, or miscommunication or confusion, which can then lead to 100 emails so it's always better to 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 give people the, the whole picture it might take a bit more time but give them the whole picture very often replies from the club will get posted in different areas on social media mm. it's always frustrating if those those uh, replies are you know edited or or chopped so that a certain point is made without the context of, of everything else but again we're yeah. used to that we accept that um but but by and large people are very respectful they don't waste our time um you know my mobile phone numbers been in the public domain for the best part of eight years. And I think I've only ever had two people abuse it in the whole of that time. So, you know, I trust the fans. I think they trust they trust me. They, they trust us to do the right job. Um, and we're very open with them and, and, and with our communication as a result of that. But uh, there's always going to be people that are not happy. As I said, you're never going to complete please everybody. You're always going to have someone who's on the wrong side of a policy decision by one day, one hour, one minute um unfortunately that's life um you know there are many organizations that face similar issues with their with their particular uh in, in their case customers in our case fans um and that's and that's the way it is and um, uh, you know unfortunately
0: we have to live with that thanks paul um sadly i'm in a minute gonna have to head off because i've got a meeting a work meeting but if you're happy to stick around with russell for a little bit longer he's got a few more questions if that's okay um but I personally just want no to say problem.
2: I've got about ten. I've got ten more minutes before I have to join a board call, so uh, yeah. if we can wrap it up at it. ten minutes, that'll be good. Yeah,
0: great. Cool. that's fine. Um, so I've got my one last question. But I just want to say thank you so much for for coming on. It's been really, 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 really good to talk to you. Um, and what is the uh, strangest question or request you've received in your time at the club? Maybe barring coming on this show. <laughs> okay. I
2: really, that, you've probably got me on that one I, I mean to be honest they 're so varied and, and you know you get so many requests for you know individual just help in individual situations, and some of them can be can be quite extreme um, but as I said, most people are are very very uh, respectful, very understanding that it, you know in running a football club whether it 's a Premier League club or a championship club, there are one hundred and one things to do in any given day and and people do try not to waste, waste your time by, by sending in trivial requests. Most of the time it, it, it's for something serious and most of the time it's where um, they haven't been able to get help elsewhere in the club or, or if they have got help, they don't like the answer they've been given and they're looking for one final arbiter of that decision. So that ends up ultimately being me um, and that's my job. So I never, ever resent it. It's always, it's always an important part of what
1: I do. Brilliant. Thanks, Paul. See you guys. OK, cheers, Peter. Um, Well there we go. Um, So Paul, um, just quickly moving on because I'm conscious uh, you've only got a limited amount of time left and thanks again for giving us as much time as you have. Um, Just a couple of sort of connected questions really. If you could, which laws of the game would you change and to what? And also tied in with that of course there's the VAR question, what's your current take on it? Continue carry on as normal or get rid. <laughs> so those, those may yeah, be tied together, yeah. I'd imagine.
2: <laughs> they are tied together, to be honest. I mean, I, I, don't, mm. I don't think get rid is an option. I think VAR is here to stay. Um, I, I think an evolution of VAR is, is certainly necessary. But again, in context, you know, Bundesliga, I think is now in its third season of VAR. MLS is in its second season. We're still in our third, first season. So we're still learning um, how VAR works. And when I say we, I mean everybody in the game. Um There are still pundits that don't understand uh, the way VAR works. There are still match officials that are adjusting to having another voice in their ear in addition to the voices they already have in their ears from uh, the the, the officials that are on or around the pitch already. The players are adjusting to it. Fans are adjusting to it. Media is adjusting to it. Um, We're all adjusting to it. So it's going to take time. It's probably the most fundamental change to the game in decades. Uh, It's no surprise that it's causing... Some confusion, some controversy. Um, But what we certainly set out to do was to try and make it as easy as possible for our match officials to get to the right decisions, um, to avoid situations where teams were denied promotion or were relegated or denied titles because of a a decision on the pitch that the referee with the best will in the world had made a mistake on. And by and large, VAR is helping match officials get more decisions right than wrong. But what people still need to understand and appreciate is that VAR is still a human being. There will be times when VAR makes a mistake that compounds the original on-field mistake or the fact that the referee on-field missed it uh, and the VAR then doesn't correct it. These are human beings. They're going to make errors. We have to roll with that. We have to accept that that's the case. Where I'd like to see um, some changes, perhaps, is, is just in some of the interpretations. I think the current offside law makes it very difficult for VAR to to operate uh, to the fans' liking, to the players' liking. It is difficult because uh, because offside is a little bit like the goal line technology. You, you are either onside or offside under mm. the current laws. A bit like the ball is either fully over the line or it isn't over the line. You know, these are absolutes. They're not they're not human subjective decisions. As per the current laws, if the laws change, then maybe a bit more subjectivity comes into it, a little bit more, um, a little bit more room for manoeuvre comes into it. But as they stand, the laws are the laws. Similarly with handball, I think the current handball law is, is, is difficult on occasions, particularly where the attacking team is denied a goal for the merest um, movement for, of, of ball to, yeah. to arm or arm to ball, where there's no way the player could have intended it, and yet they get penalised for it. And we've already seen some really good goals chalked off because of uh, this unintentional handball being uh, being ruled as a as an offense in in the current laws of the game so there's always going to be laws of the game regulations that 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 slightly interfere with with everybody's enjoyment and refining those and evolving those to fit the 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 role of VAR over the next season or two would would I think make VAR far more acceptable to people And more than that, or as well as that, I think communication in the stadium still has to improve. It's really important that the people that are paying to be in the stadium, creating the atmosphere, they need to know exactly what is going on in every single VAR-based decision, just as much as the people watching at home. Um, And we still haven't got that right. We've still got some of our biggest clubs in the country that don't have uh, stadium screens that make that easier uh, to do. We still don't have enough communication between uh, Stockley Park, where the VAR is based, and the um, on-field referee and then the stadium itself. So, again, that, in my opinion, has to change, has to improve. Um, and, I, and I'm in favour of actually having a spokesperson for the match officials, not the referee himself uh, or herself, but um, someone who acts as a spokesperson for match officials explaining some of the decisions to fans after the game just as players and managers are expected to explain their decisions. I'm, I'm a real fan of, of open communication. And I think if we, can, if we can extend that to match officials, not putting them on trial, because that's not going to help anyone, that's not going to make the game better, that will make it worse, but sometimes just explaining some of the more intricate laws of the game um, that, mm. that, that actually escape even some of our pundits. I keep hearing sometimes pundits saying, well, you know, I don't know whether they're going to check that goal. Well, every goal is checked by VAR. Um, You know, we don't have to wait for the referee to check a goal. It's all automatically checked um, every single time. So things like that, where I think we could we could improve the game um, by explaining things better. Um, Some of the intricate laws being explained after the
1: game better. I think all of those things combined will make a big difference. Yeah, Yeah, I completely concur with everything there. I think you said certainly timelines for decisions, communications. And some of the laws to change thicker lines for offsides, for example, might help with that decision making as well. Um, Just briefly then, but quickly fire through a couple of other things if you've still got time. Um, Your appointment at Albion was announced in May 2012. I think you took the job mid-June that year. Um, Having nearly completed eight years in Sussex now, Paul, um, how have you found the experience overall? And what in particular have you found the most interesting, enjoyable or rewarding part of the job? Or indeed the least. Um, <laughs> well it's been, first of all, it's been fantastic.
2: It's been it's been eight really eventful years. Um, obviously with the playoff um, challenges with the promotion and then the, the battles to stay in the Premier League I and mean, the FA Cup semi-final at Wembley. It's just been an amazing time to, to be at the club. And all through that period, you know, we've taken opportunities to expand the stadium, build the training ground. Now we're expanding the training ground. We've added the women's team, they've gone professional, we're building a women and girls hub at the training ground. And um, we've built the crowd, you know, the, the fan base has grown. Um, we've done so many great things. It's been a really fantastic eight years. And I think living in the city um, was a really important decision. I originally lived in London when I first came back from Vancouver and making sure that I, I bought a place in, in the city has been a really good thing. Um, it's a bit different because in London, you know, when I was when I was um, the managing director at Tottenham, I was pretty much anonymous in a city of 10 million people. It's different here it's impossible to be anonymous in a city of 300,000 people so you have to get used to you have to get used to that and that's been you know that took a bit of adjusting to but again people are very very nice very respectful always looking to chat about the club i love the fact that people are so interested in the football club um, whether they're people in local businesses or or just people fans walking down the street or on the seafront all of that has, has has meant that the life experience of living on the south coast has been absolutely fantastic. I've enjoyed every minute of it.
1: Fantastic. And you have a reputation as a bit of a workaholic, um, needless to say. But when you do find moments of time to do things, what what do you like to do most in Brighton? What have you found that's particularly um, caught your fancy? Yeah, running on the seafront is my thing. You know,
2: it's it's the one thing Uh I do on my own without a mobile phone, without responding to emails. So if people don't get a response at certain times, it's probably because (laughs) I'm out running. Um, but that's my, you know, that's my peace and quiet. That's my time to myself. And, and I enjoy, I enjoy living so close to the seafront where I can do that. And, you know, again, we're lucky to live in this part of the world where you, you know, you can get down to, to the, the seafront easily. You can get into the downs nice and easily. It's great to be able to get out to one of the, the lovely pubs in some of the villages in Sussex and just sort of, again, be anonymous out, out, out there for a, a lunchtime or an evening. Certainly not at the moment, we're not allowed to do that, but in normal times, um but no it's been a, it's been a great eight years i've enjoyed it the club's been magnificent got a fantastic chairman and board great staff really hard-working professional staff and the supporters have been fabulous so uh no
1: i've really enjoyed the time here excellent that's fantastic and um yeah just on the subject of workaholism um you um yeah my sunday football team i manage manager sunday adult football team and the lad max i believe um his mum is your wife's best friend so i've um, i've heard things about you coming back um <laughs> The social events at very weird o'clock in the evening on a Saturday. <laughs> um, Barry, <laughs> yeah. is it well, Barry? you know?
2: <laughs> yes, I do know. Yeah. Um well you know what, it's um you know, running a football club is, is not a, a normal job. It's not a nine to five job. You know, for a start, you know, our, our most important days of the week are, are weekends. And in invariably whatever happens on that match day, there's always a follow up of some kind, you know, the following day, whether that's with the coach, with the chairman, with the fans, with match officials, whatever may have happened in the game, media, of course, um, you know, it means that typically a Sunday will be a, a working day as well. So I think if you if you love football, um, and I've loved it since I was six or seven years of age, it, you know, it's, it doesn't really feel like a job. It's more of a voc- vocation um, and, you know, therefore work doesn't feel like work and the days don't really feel like a, a normal mm-hmm. working day or a weekend. They just They yeah. just blend into one. You take your opportunities to rest when you can. Um, but it's football and, and, you know, we love it. So, you know, it
1: certainly doesn't ever feel like a chore, that's for sure. Fantastic. Well, yes, I mean, that's, that's been great. I mean, can we expect to see you up at Seagulls over London and maybe for a, another visit in the new year as well? Um, yeah, I'm sure. as soon as we're allowed
2: to get out of our homes, um, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll certainly look to do that. But in the meantime, as I said, we're looking to do an online fans forum and I know all the different supporters groups are going to be invited to, to take part in that so more details on that I think in the next week or two
1: lovely and we would love to have you back on the show at some point in the future I was going to get you to do a quiz but I know you've just run out of time now but um, maybe we can get you on before the end of the season for another call to uh, see how you fare against the likes of Peter maybe would you be (laughs) safe by the bell by the sounds of it yes (laughs) might be well again Paul thank you very much indeed for coming on it's been a pleasure and you are doing a fantastic job and I know all Albion fans do appreciate that um so thank you. thank you very much thanks very much cheers all the best thank Bye. you bye-bye Bye. okay so a little bit later same day as our interview with paul barber i'm now rejoined by peter who has finished work hello again peter welcome back Hi, Russ. how are you doing
0: not too bad yeah i think that went really well earlier didn't it
1: yeah yeah really pleased it was fantastic to get um Paul on I think he's always good value, and he wasn't an exception in this case. I think really interesting what he was saying, lots of detail, lots of content, and he's always pretty engaging, isn't he?
0: Definitely our best guest so far with all due to oh, yeah. for analysis he's been on
1: absolutely and um, obviously we don't want to insult all the guests that we've had on they've all been great as well but uh, it's just something special to get on somebody from the club so high up as well who can just give us so much more information than, um, than, than somebody normally could and um, I think yeah he elaborated quite a bit there right, in you my did, yeah. yeah I think answered the questions straight up and uh, in full detail as he always does um, but to get him on our show I'm really delighted and it was a great experience. Um, any, Hopefully so, first
0: of many guests from the club coming on.
1: Yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope so because it's always rewarding to get information from people and, and really to just get the other side of the equation because there's a lot of information there which we uh, probably wouldn't have heard about before. Um, so it's, it's always good. So let's, let's hope it is the first of many. Um, any particular highlights you'd take from that altogether?
0: Um to be honest, I just enjoyed it all. It was all all really good. Um, I think yeah, he was some of the stuff that the club are doing is amazing and it was good to hear Paul's take on it and Paul's view. Um I really like the thing that hasn't been mentioned elsewhere as well as I've seen about the Amazon vouchers being sent to staff. That was yeah. quite cool. Yeah, cool added extra because I've not seen that mentioned anywhere, but that's a really nice touch from them. Yeah, and I, I was really impressed. Yeah. Um interesting to hear his views generally on you know, on, on the season as a whole as well and uh yeah. Great to an update. How about you?
1: Yeah, pretty much the same as you. Um, also, we mentioned about Graham Potter being um, uh, now tuned in with the uh, with the technology as well. So he'll be appearing on um, so, so a lot of the media um, coverage in the next few days. I think I'm not sure if that was actually mentioned on the podcast or briefly just beforehand. I can't remember now. But uh, anyway, he'll he'll be appearing quite a bit by the sounds of it. Uh, up and coming, Paul um after you left the conversation towards the end i think with the, the bits he was talking about were to do with um law changes uh var that sort of stuff and his views on that ultimately it was to say that it needs persevering and it does need some change probably nothing too groundbreaking and opinion wise but um, it was good to hear his views on that as well and all in all a good to take i think um i mean we, we now go forward to the next one i mean we I'm going to do another podcast probably at the end of the week. Um, we're going to reprise our current Teams of the Decade theme, which we've done on our previous podcast uh, for, the 19, uh, for the 2010s. 1910s um, <laughs> was... may
0: be a way off. If you <laughs> <can recognize. laughs> yeah, I
1: can't remember them that well, actually, the, 20, the <laughs> 1910s. But yeah, we did the 2010s. We're going to follow the same format for the Withdean era, the 2000s, the noughties. Um, best teams, worst teams on a permanent basis, best and worst teams on a temporary basis. We're also hoping to get on the show another guest, uh, Mr. Robin Woolley, a friend of ours from WhatsApp and so on. He's got a lot to live up to now, hasn't he, after Paul Barber's appearance. He has,
0: and it'll be interesting to have his take on the uh, best and worst with Dean Elevens as well. There's always, a, I think there's plenty of options there, whereas with the AmEx, we've had quite settled teams for a lot of the years, but uh, with Dean over the, the 10 years... Main 10 years there, we've had a lot of change and a lot of loan players, and there's plenty of options for best and worst of both. So, yeah, it's been, it's been
1: a very interesting decade. Uh, for, go on a what bit. Is, Yeah, I mean, four four promotions in the 12 years that we had at Widdean, so a lot of those obviously during the decade period itself. Um, lots of changes, lots of highs and lows, some funny moments as well, a couple of anecdotes I think I can throw in as well from my time there. I'm sure you've got some similar as well. Um, some happy memories, and I'm in a way, I'm glad they are only memories now and that we've moved on. But nonetheless, it's good to look yeah. back. And there's I'll a lot look said about
0: Withdean, Dean, but in all honesty, having started watching Alvin in 1990, barring the playoffs when we got in my first season, we did it, we had an absolutely no success before we got to Withdean Dean in my time. And then we won promotion four times in 12 years. <laughs> so I mean, from a personal point of view, while I obviously love the MX and I'm very glad we're there rather than at Withdean Dean now, there's an awful lot of very happy memories at Withdean. Dean. Um, especially that, that last season which was incredible and we absolutely dominated the, the league one that year
1: mm. yeah, yeah.
0: although yeah, technically yeah. that that team can't count in the team of the 2010 of the 2000s because it's in the 2010s as we discovered this week we talked about elita bennett last week so uh, <laughs> sadly <laughs> we are not going to include any players from that team in our team of the uh, team of the decade
1: yeah but i will be doing my research and getting on that because i have to admit I have to admit, my memory becomes very flaky uh, a few years down the line. So exactly. um, I'm going to have to refresh that. my memory. Yeah. So
0: many players of that era, it's easy to forget them, especially the worst ones.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> those, those are going to be the, yeah, the most interesting ones to talk about, I think. So looking forward to that. Hopefully we can get Robin on as well, all being well. So there could be three of us on for that next podcast. Either way, the two of us will definitely be there. And so stay tuned.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.